kid, everybody be icy. Million dollar posse, always there to watch me. Y'all know what I wrestle with. I used to be reckless. Now I'm trying to tell y'all what the message is. Oh, welcome, true believers, to Wrestle with Hope, a wrestling podcast with a Saturday morning sentiment and Sunday morning values. I'm your host, Wayne Cordova. My wrestling fandom covers the birth of Hulkamania, past the Monday Night Wars, and all the way to this modern era. Each episode, we talk about what's happening this week in wrestling currently. We talk about what happened this week in wrestling history, and then we give the go-home signal with the Wrestle with Hope word for the week. And along the way, you'll catch a glimpse of what my wrestling past was like and why I still watch now. This uh, week, we've got two very special episodes of Wrestle with Hope. You see, uh, I'm going to have another episode that comes out that's going to be talking about all these pay-per-view results that happened um, two weeks ago with NWA Hard Times that happened with the uh, NXT Worlds Collide and also what happened with the Royal Rumble, okay? But in the This Week in Wrestling History section, we stumbled across what happened on January 23rd, 1984. This is the birth of Hulkamania, the real true birth of Hulkamania. And so what we wanted to do was, since we were doing all this other coverage, and really this this event was so prolific, was so uh, big in the world of wrestling, wanted to make sure we kind of gave it some ample time. And so what I did was I brought in some reinforcements. See, I brought my, I brought my tag team brother, brother, who happens to be my brother. <laughs> and uh, I gave a call. To my brother, Emilio Cordova. Okay, so I'm Wayne Cordova. This is Emilio Cordova, Dr. Emilio Cordova. And uh, I gave him a call because, see, here's the thing. My brother is the one who introduced me to wrestling in the first place, okay? He's the one that was responsible for my my in- indoctrination <laughs> of uh, the world of wrestling. When I was a kid, um, you know, my brother being a few years older than me, you know, would I, I would, you know, want to be into what he was into. I mean, and like the stuff that he, you know, introduced me to, you know, wrestling and comic books and superheroes and all this kind of stuff, all very important stuff in the growing up process, okay? Uh, and what he did when it came to wrestling really kind of set me off on this entire journey that we're on. And so what I wanted to do was talk to him about this specific moment in wrestling history. And here's the reason why. He was there. He actually was there, ringside, when Hulk Hogan defeated the Iron Sheik to win the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship, and everything exploded. Hulkamania, the Rock and Wrestling Connection, WrestleMania down the line. Everything came out of, really, this moment in time and this moment in wrestling history. And so I wanted to unpack it. I wanted to talk to him about it. And so, uh, you know, what, we, what we're going to do is kind of have a different episode of Wrestle With Hope today where we're going to spend a whole lot of time on this particular card and really kind of unpack it. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the second half of the Cordova Club, the greatest brother tag team in all the world, my brother, brother, Dr. Emilio Cordova. Hey, what's up, Wayne? What's How up? are you doing? Good. So uh, this is uh, this is a first. Okay, so um, I get to have my brother on the show with me today uh, because, and it's appropriate because we're going to talk about the birth of Hulkamania, and but we're going to talk about and see for me, 
that's where that's that's right in the kind of like the sweet spot of where my my fandom kind of began. And but my brother Emilio has been a fan since way before that. And so um, I know you listen to the podcast. And so uh, I start with, um, you know, my fandom starts with the birth of Hulkamania, goes through the Monday Night Wars and into today's current era. So, like, where does it start for you? Like, when when did you start watching wrestling? Oh, my gosh. I remember watching my first matches sitting on the bed of my grandma's room, bedroom, with her in a <laughs> tiny eight-inch black and white TV seeing in my first visual of my first match ever, I was probably seven years old somewhere around we're watching pedro morales on tv oh, wrestling and obviously at that time it was you know the wwf right uh and uh and i remember my grandma just going nuts uh <laughs> watching pedro morales first she thought she he was like devilly handsome <laughs> and uh and uh obviously you know puerto rican latino and, uh, you know, great physique. And at that time, you know, we didn't have the uh, 380 channels to choose from on TV. No, there was three. <laughs> yeah, if we had three, we were really good. Uh, maybe four if you were able to catch some, uh, uh, some antenna adjustments. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, religiously, every week you would get to see wrestling. And for me, when I saw that uh, for the first time, I was just blown away. So was he was was Pedro Morales the world champion at the time or intercontinental champion? I believe at the time he was intercontinental champion. Oh, OK. Because um, that would have been, you know, somewhere, um, you know, somewhere around 73, 74. And I believe at that time, I think San Martino was changing hands with Ivan Koloff. If I'm not mistaken, somewhere. Oh, okay. There. So, like, to give you more uh, background, like, we grew so we grew up in New Jersey, uh, and, and so we, you know, we were living there, and so New York was just a stone's throw away, uh, and so matches. I mean, we were at the heart of WWWF at the time. We were we were right in McMahon territory, and uh, and, and so it, it, it obviously that was that was what we grew up on, you know, for the most part. But you know, but. But we were up on NWA and, you know, AWA and all that kind of stuff because we had access to when, when cable came out, we had access to, you know, some of the other channels. But then we also had like the magazines and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But for me, like I remember um, I remember watching wrestling, you know, because I was little, little, you know, when all this was going on. And then I remember um, right around right around that time was, was uh, when Rocky three came out. And oh, you remember yeah. when we all we all went to go see Rocky three together Absolutely. as a family, and it was uh and, and I remember seeing Thunderlips. <laughs> oh yes, and, and that was to me probably my first real um like I need to see more of this guy, you know, on on stuff. And then I remember you know you you telling me that's Hulk Hogan, and at the time he was in AWA when um when he filmed um uh Rocky three. Yeah. And it was right in the middle because he had to leave AWA because Vern Gagne didn't want him doing movies. That's right. And so then he left. And then, I mean, then Rocky Three blew up and Vince McMahon snatched Hulk Hogan back because he used to be a bad guy 
in WWF. And then there was a lot of things going on at that period of time. Not just that, right. First of all, a lot of people didn't realize that Hogan was a heel. Right. Right. Prior to that. I mean, he was super heel and and he had a stint in the WWF at the time, uh, you know, a few years back and he, you know, he was a bad guy. Right. That was the first time he fought Andre the giant. That's right. Which people believe, you know, the first matches came afterwards <laughs> you know, in the mid eighties. Um, but certainly there were matches prior to that. But the other thing that was really interesting was the transition of Vince McMahon, senior Vince McMahon, junior. Right. Right. And so if it wasn't for that transition of ownership, uh, I, we don't know if Hulkamania would have been uh, alive and well, because Senior loved Bob Backlund. Yes. And we know that for a fact. Uh, and he was his golden boy. Uh, you know, he brought uh, Bob Backlund up when he did the title reign change yeah. uh, and, and kept him for a very long time because he loved that, that golden boy look. And obviously, Vince Sr. had much different plans once he took over the reins of his dad. And, and Backlund was your guy. Bob Backlund was my guy, but you know, the thing is, is when you have a champion that's been uh, a champion, not like it is today, you know, for three weeks, right. but you know, six years, you almost see him as an invincible figure, right? right? Through all the odds. I mean, imagine, think about all the opponents that Bob Backlund went through during that era, right? Don Morocco. Jimmy Superfly Snook. I mean, talk about amazing matches that occurred there, right? Uh, Stan Hansen's, the superstar Billy Graham's, you know, all those things. Yeah. And and now you see, you know, obviously as a young, you know, 14, 15-year-old, you don't see all the behind scenes. And actually back then, as you can imagine, social media was relegated to the newspaper. Right. Right. We didn't know instantly what was going on behind the scenes, much less you know, even the matches that occurred the night before. Right, yeah. And, you, know, you know, from that standpoint, it was really interesting because uh, when you get to that faithful night of Bob Backlund's last day as a reigning WWF champion, uh, I still remember that like it was yesterday. Well, that was, and that was probably one of the first moments where, the the results of wrestling in our house, you know, actually had some kind of emotional response, you know, and so because like to me, I mean, I think I think I'm pretty sure I was like born sure. into Bob Backlund being the world champion, like he was he was sure. the world champion when I was born, and so right. <laughs> you talk about like it's president like having the pope, yeah. Time or the Queen of England, yeah, and so like you know anybody else, Backlund was there, and then all of a sudden, then there was this match where it was. You know, the Iron Sheik, who was not that he wasn't nobody because he, you know, he also came from the AWA and, you know, and that kind of stuff. Right. But like, you know, but he was kind of brand new into the organization. And he's and he's got a match and you're thinking, well, he's going to get fed to Backlund. Backlund's going to he's going to have no problem with him. And what happened? Right. And, and the other thing also to remember during that era back in the early 80s, Iran was not very well thought of in the United States. You right. Know, we had gone through the hostage crisis. You know, Ronald Reagan came into power and got the hostages back and everything. So here comes this Iranian wrestler. The Sheik, who, yeah. The Sheik, who, you know, hates the USA and he's number one. And, oh boy, talk uh -huh. about, you know, just 
the all-American boy in Bob Backlund and the ultimate villain in the Iron Sheik. Right? Well, that and, and that was the thing was like Iron Sheik. They were, you know, he 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 preyed on that. That was the, you know, the fears of the Americans, you know. And so it's like, you know, Iran number one, Russia number one, USA, Octopus. You know, he's just, That's you right. know, and, That's and, right. and that was like his whole thing. And then and 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 for him, what happened when? So when you found out that he won the title, that he defeated your guy. Well, well, you got to remember, we're, you know, it is the day after Christmas, right? The match occurs on December 26th at Madison Square Garden. Again, we're Jersey boys, you know, and we just can't wait because we can't see the match, right? It's not like now you get pay-per-view or the WWE Network and all that stuff. It doesn't happen that way, right? So the only way to get it is to run to the front door early in the morning, <laughs> snatch social media, which is the Star Ledger at the time. Uh, the newspaper, right? For those people out there that may not know what that looks like, uh, Google it. Uh, <laughs> it. It was amazing. So you, you know, we flipped through everything. My cousins, uh, Ray and Richard, Richard at the time, same age as me. My younger cousin, Ray, was probably a couple years younger. Uh, just amazing. We're sitting there. I get designated to read the newspaper, the results of that night. And as I'm reading them through it, I just, my heart stops. Oh my God. Literally. I dropped the newspaper. My, I think I was going white, uh, completely pale, ready to pass out. My cousins are screaming, what's wrong? What's wrong? Because obviously <laughs> they don't have any mechanism to see the results. And all I did was scream and say, Bob Backlund lost the belt. Bob Backlund lost the belt. Oh, my gosh. And, and they're like, no, it can't be. The Iron Sheik is the champion. That's the worst <laughs> thing that could happen. It ruined Christmas. It ruined the holidays. Um, it, it, it was just amazing. And here's the kicker. You know, as young kids at that age, it wasn't just everyone who went to see a wrestling match, right? right. We didn't have a whole bunch of shows going on at the same time in different, you know, eras. And obviously, MSG continues to this day to be the mecca of right. wrestling, right? And so immediately, my little cousin Ray, whose birthday was coming up, runs to my aunt his mom and says i know what i want for my birthday i want to go see wrestling at madison square garden next month we're all thinking as as it always happens with championship reigns back in the day the champ the ex-champion gets a rematch and we're thinking okay this is just you know bob back is going to get healed his back is going to be fine and next month at msg he's just going to like rip into the iron sheik he's gonna get him in the chicken wing and call it a day and he's gonna get his championship again and so that and, and actually that's so that's what happened was that uh backland selling a, a, a bad back you know yep. during, for the match and like so the whole time you know the, the the back is in question for the actual match and the iron sheik gets bob backland in the camel clutch which that's is right. like the most feared move in all of wrestling in the eighties was the camel clutch. And it was, it looked just, just devastating. Cause I mean, like, you know, uh, iron Sheik would really get in there, really oh, pull yeah. back on he your back. And, the back. Absolutely. And uh, Bob Backlund's manager, Ar Arnold Scotland, he threw in the towel. And so it wasn't even like Bob Backlund tapped out. There were no tap outs in, back in the day. It was, you know, it wasn't Agreed. like that. And so it was the manager who threw in the towel. So not only, you know, did Bob Backlund lose the title? But it's one of those things too, where Bob Backlund lost the title, and everybody else is saying, 
you know, but, but you know, he, he threw in the towel. He didn't lose. He didn't quit. He threw in the towel, you know. Um, and, you know, that was unusual for us, right? Because we never had heard of somebody actually losing the title right. and not submitting or getting pinned. So this, this, this play was really a Bob Backlund play. Right? Yeah. We learned 30 years later, right, 30-plus years later, what really happened behind the scenes. Right. Because Backlund did not want to get pinned. Right. And so the, the, there was many months of discussions through this. And finally, Arnie actually, Skolan, was the one that came up with the idea. Throw in the towel. And that right? was a way to, for him to save some face. That's so right. He didn't actually lose. And it's the manager's fault. He's the one that's, that's you know, that ends up getting that's hated right. because of this, you know. And, uh, and and so now you got the Iron Sheik. And so it's funny because you think about it, because back then all those title reigns lasted forever. And so now you got only a month later and it's it's time for Madison Square Garden, have WWF back in. And uh, it's it should be Backlund versus Iron Sheik, but it it ended up not being that way. No, it did not. It did not. So, you know, uh, back then they would pre-record a bunch of TV Right. You know, uh, the events, right? It wasn't live like it is now on Raw or SmackDown or, uh, you know, the other other wrestling networks as well. Um, it was traditional, not just in the WWF, but across all of them, the NWA, AWA, they would pre-record sometimes two or three weeks worth of sessions. Oh, yeah. So what we get to know is the week before or a couple of weeks before, we get to find out on TV that Bob Backlund's still not well. <laughs> and and that basically Hulk Hogan will be replacing Bob Backlund. And he has Bob Backlund's blessing, right? Because that needed to be projected in the TV show so that the fans would realize that, you know, Hogan's not just coming in and just taking his place and, you know, pushing him aside. That Bob Backlund basically has his the blessing to do so. Right. And then, and and the, and it's it, the funny thing is with this is you get Hulk Hogan, um, in the middle of all this transition. He's in Rocky Three, uh, you know that's you know that's the the big thing. And Rocky Three was huge. I mean, it was, uh, you know, at, at the time when it came out, you know, it was it was a huge release. Absolutely. And, and it was and it was a probably I mean honestly one of those things. It was one of those like cornerstones of like pop culture like in the eighties. You know what I mean? I mean it made yep. Mr. T. It made you know Robert Sylvester Lang, Stallone. Right? You know. And then you had Hulk Hogan in there, and then his theme song, you know, at the very start of his time in WWF is actually "Eye of the Tiger." Eye of the Tiger. So what? So what happens? So now you, what happens? You end up, you find out, you get tickets to the show. So we get tickets to the show. My oldest cousin, Rodan, he is able to secure tickets for Masquerade Garden. Back then, ringside tickets, twelve dollars a piece. Wow. Okay amazing so somehow it was still a lot of money for us obviously back in the day um but he was able to secure four tickets so he along with three crazy young teenagers make our trek from new jersey to new york and the way we used to do that is basically taking the train we take the penn station train from new jersey newark new jersey right underneath mass square garden so penn wow. station in new york is underneath the mecca and so you can't get lost. <laughs> you, just, you just follow the rants, right? And uh, so we get up there. 
uh, it's just an amazing experience because it's the first time we've ever been in that square garden. For right. Anything, oh, wow. Much less wrestling. And so it's our first wrestling event ever live. Wow. Uh, it is probably the first, one of the first times to go even to New York uh, just because, you know, we were living in a smaller, more humble neighborhood, not a lot of resources. And, and so this was a major, major deal for us. And obviously celebrating my cousin's rape birthday at the same time. Yeah, and you didn't go with mom or dad or nothing like that. You went with, you know, with our cousins. So it was like, it was almost like all the kids were going on their own, you know, to this thing. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And you and, sat, uh, so you were ringside. We were ringside. Now, uh, you know, I can't tell you exactly how far back, but from what I recall, we were probably somewhere between 20 and 30 rows back wow. from, uh, from ringside. Uh, so on the floor. So you were on the floor of the. We were on the floor. We were on the floor. And the only way to see those matches, especially that match, was basically standing up. Right. Because no one sat down for that match. Wow. Wow. And so. All right. So here's the thing. So you get to the show and, um, you know, I'm going to run through the card real quick and then right. and then we'll uh, we'll come back and, and talk about, you know, the actual the actual match. Um so at Madison Square Garden on this is January for uh, January twenty third, nineteen eighty four. Okay, and so the card here was uh, Tony Guerrilla versus Jose Luis Rivera, um, <laughs> and that that that's the match that you know that opened things up. Um, and uh, Tony Guerrilla was funny because like I only remember him as you know one of the agents you know at WWF at the time. He was one of the the backstage guys, and whenever there was a brawl, he would come out to break it apart. And, and and it was one of those things where it's 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 funny because now you know nowadays like when you see that kind of stuff you see the brawls coming out you see guys like Jamie Noble and Dean Malenko breaking apart the brawls and you know kids today probably just think that these are old guys you know not knowing that they're wrestling legends and Tony Guerrilla he's a former WWF tag team champion tag team champion that's um, right and so uh, so you had you had a uh, Tony Guerrilla pinning Jose Luis Guerrera then you had the Invaders. Uh, which was a mass tag team, which is basically Invader number one and number two, um, yes. and they fought Mr. Fuji and Tiger Chung Lee to a twenty-minute time limit draw. Um, and a lot of times we forget Mr. Fuji was a great competitor, was a tag team wrestler, um, and this time though he was with Tiger Chung Lee. And Tiger, what I remember about Tiger Chung Lee was he was thick, like he was one wide, wide wrestler. I mean, he was like. Yeah, I'm trying to think. He was like I would almost equate him to almost like almost like Biggie. You know, he was like he was a big dude. Absolutely. I mean, Tiger Tiger Chung Lee was the only thing I can recall vividly is how tall he was relative to Mr. Fuji. <laughs> this guy was amazing. You know, uh, wore long black pants uh, for wrestling. Yeah. Uh, you know, baggy pants where Mr. Fuji had kind of the tight you know, black pants, you know, wrestling tights, but all the way down. And uh, when he would hit someone in a corner of a ring and use his hand and slap that person, you could hear that for miles away because he was so big. Uh, awesome. People don't realize, you know, that uh, Tiger Chung Lee, you know, he was all over the place. Um, but when he had his stint in WWF, um, he was a force to be reckoned with, especially with Mr. Fuji, because you never know what Mr. Fuji was up to. Oh, right? yeah. 
even as a wrestler, he was always he was the devious one. So absolutely. Um, the masked superstar pinned Chief J Strongbow. And uh, the Mass Superstar, a lot of folks, if you're a fan of the 80s, you recognize Mass Superstar as Axe from Demolition. And so yeah. this is a guy who had, I mean, really, in a sense, he had two major, major careers because the Mass Superstar was exactly, he was a superstar. And, yep. uh, and then, then he, you know, transitioned. I, I remember the funny thing is that the, the transition between Mass Superstar and Axe of Demolition when he got that gimmick um, was remember when he, uh, when Mass Superstar was the Super Machine, when Andre the Giant uh, had to had to retire from WWF, and he exactly. he came back in a mask as from Japan as the Machines, and he was the Giant Machine, and Mass Superstar was the Super Machine, that's right. uh, and uh, yeah, so that was that's what I remember, you know, the most out of that, and then you know Chief J Strongbow was you know another staple of of you know, early 80s, late 70s, WWF. Hey, another tag team champion, right? Right. Chief Strongbow was a part of a tag team champion with Jules Strongbow, right? Uh, his his nephew, I think it was at the time. Uh, <laughs> and, and and one of those handlers for many years. That's right. In the back. And uh, I remember that match in particular because Chief J was one of my favorites. Yeah. And and I remember when he lost, I was like, oh man, I can't believe, you know, how could Mass Superstar, you know, win when, you know, Chief J is like chopping him here left and right. And he's doing his dance <laughs> around the ring and stuff. So uh, one of the things to recall and remember about all these matches, just so you know, and a little hint that it's kind of hidden subliminally in all these matches, is that the Hogan match was one of the shortest matches of the whole card. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, some of these, like you were saying, went to a 20 minute time draw. Uh, it was just incredible. It was just incredible. <laughs> uh, the next one was Sergeant Slaughter uh, defeating <laughs> Ivan Putsky. Um, and he defeated him via count out. Now, both of these guys, they would flip flop in their careers as far as being good guys and bad guys. Who was right. was Sergeant Slaughter the good guy this time or was no, Sergeant Slaughter was the bad guy this time? OK, uh, I think. That's a good question. Yeah, because Putski go. would go back and forth too, right? Yeah, but Putski in mass, you got to remember that um, the way WWF would manage their superstars, they would be home favorites in one house show, and they would be the baddest evil. Oh, yeah, because he was Polish power. That's right. He was Polish power, right? So, you know, that's why, for example, you know, Bruno Sormartino lasted so long as that's champions true. in his ranks because he was a homegrown Italian guy. That's right. Right. In 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 New York. It's funny. It's a shame because you can't do that anymore. Like you can't base anybody, you know, just off of like, you know, their nationality anymore. And oh. the world and, and both good and bad because the world is a much bigger place now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like you can't. You know, you can't necessarily do that because it's way too regional or whatever. But then at the same time, you know, again, it's like, you know, uh, you know, guys like, you know, Mr. Fuji and Tiger Chung Lee, you know, part of the reason why they were, you know, bad guys was because they were, quote, foreign, you know. That's right. And it's like sure. it's, it's funny because those guys were foreign and they were bad guys. But then you have another guy like, you know, Ivan Putsky and he's a right. good guy. You know what I mean? It's it's. It, it was it was all based on region where you were from really kind of helped determine if you were a good guy or a bad guy. And um, now here's the next one. So this is talk about bad guy. You had mm. Mr. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff with yep. Roddy Piper in his corner uh, pinned Salvatore Belomo. Yep. 
And Salvatore Sal- Belomo. And Salvatore was like a lovable loser, right? Like he was the guy yes. that everybody loved him, but he lost all the time. He was your favorite jobber, right? <laughs> and actually, you got to remember that leading into this, and a lot of people don't realize that Salvatore Belomo was a, a, a jobber 100% through. Right. Okay. But when he got into a feud with Paul Orndorff in 1983, leading to 84, I don't know if it was Vince Sr. or Vince Jr., but they wanted to build Salvatore up a little bit. Like, you know, the guy that's, you know, from the deep ends, you know, rising to the top and stuff. And he got into a feud with Paul Orndorff. And so you think about this match, you're like, wow, Paul Orndorff for Salvatore Belomo, that's just kind of a weird thing, especially a match going over 14 minutes long. <laughs> it wasn't a squash match. Right. And uh, and I remember a lot of, especially in the Masquerade Guard, everybody cheering for Salvatore Belomo. You know, he would do these cartwheels in the ring. <laughs> and that's how he would, like, pump people up. And uh, it was just funny. But again, he was like any, uh, he was, you know, the, the Italian boy. You know what that's I mean? Right. He was like, and everybody loved him. He was homegrown and... Um, and then now here's the cool one. Here's the, this is a match that, um, I would love to go back and see because this was a great feud, uh, for the WWF intercontinental championship. You had Don Morocco, the magnificent Morocco, uh, versus Tito Santana. And they both fought to a double disqualification. That's right. That's right. And like, uh, and Don Morocco was one of another one. He, He was, isn't he one in your, in your top intercontinental champions of all time? Oh yeah. I mean, you know. All you have to think about is Don Morocco and Jimmy Snuka, right? right. That, that defined intercontinental era back, you know, in the early 80s. Uh, anyone who wants to watch an amazing match, watch the cage match from Mass Square Garden between Don Morocco and Jimmy Snuka. Uh, and actually, at that point, was the first time Jimmy Snuka, well, they say it was the first time Jimmy Snuka went into the top of the steel cage and jumped, but it wasn't. But it was the <laughs> one. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, and Don Morocco, you know, that beach bum body Hawaiian build. Beach bum. That's right. And, and and he had the talk. Right. I mean, Don Morocco was one of those early guys who knew how to work the mic. And uh, it was great seeing him. And he got a lot of exposure. That's why he got a lot of championship time uh, in WWF, because yeah. he worked the crowds. Oh, he was he was a great talker, and then they ended up pairing him with Mr. Fuji, and uh, right. and that was you know that was a lot of fun too in the eighties because I remember when they would do these these parody videos of uh, Fuji Fuji, yes. Fuji Vice. Uh, <laughs> it was <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, then you had uh, to kind of break things up a little bit, I think, from the action and kind of get you ready. Uh, yeah. They had uh, they had the Haiti Kid and Tiger Jackson uh, defeating Dana Carpenter and Poncho <laughs> Boy. In a best, here's the thing. It was a tag team, uh, yep. little little people's match, right? Right. Uh, and so it was a tag team, little people's match. But then at the same time, it was the best two out of three. So not only did you get one fall, you got two falls out of it. Uh, and yep. uh, Haiti Kid and Tiger Jackson won with um, two falls um, back to back. And yes. uh, Tiger Jackson uh, was a little known fact. Tiger Jackson was also Dink from Doink and Dink. Uh, but yeah, uh huh. And so uh, it was. Uh, that was the uh, uh, you know he kind of moved on you know later in the eighties and came back and was Dink. So well, you know, it was the these types of matches were very popular back in the late seventies, probably leading maybe until the early eighties. Yeah. Um, and Haiti Kid was a 
big fan favorite for many Oh, everybody people. loved him. They loved it. I mean, I remember Haiti Kid, either seeing him on TV, you know, uh, it was just, it was fun. So seeing him live that night was actually a lot of fun because uh, he was really gifted and athletic. Well, uh, I remember him being like, he was super strong. And back in the day, he, um, this was later on, you know, around WrestleMania time and stuff. But Haiti Kid would team up with Mr. T and, right. and, and do mixed matches. And Haiti Kid would pick up Roddy Piper and yep. and would do, you know, basically what John Cena does now, which is the, you know, the AA. But he would right. he would do that move on Roddy Piper. And he was, you know, he was a big, big, strong oh, dude. Yeah. Um, and Haiti Kid actually got matches uh, both in WrestleMania two and three. So, <laughs> you know, and oh, so, yeah. yeah, real, real interesting stuff. So we're going to skip the next match because we're going to come back to it. Sure. But then then we had uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka pinning Rene Goulet. Uh, and uh, he was yeah. a, he was a sub for Iron Mike Sharp that night. Um, yep. But uh, we recently lost Rene Goulet. Um, mm-hmm. And Rene Goulet was one of those guys that was another one of those. I just remember him as an agent backstage guy who would break up all the bras. Right. But yep. but man, his you know, his his career was was huge back then. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Rene Goulet was one of those people you like to hate. But at the same time, you loved his wrestling style. Um, and, uh, obviously, you know, Jimmy Snuka, my favorite when he was bad and good, yeah. uh, he just brought a different style to wrestling. And, uh, and so even though it was a short match, I remember that really well, just because it was Snuka. Right. Me. So just, just seeing him live was just an amazing thing. Well, me. and this was a semi main event. And then the main event of the night, see, the funny thing is Hulk Hogan versus Iron Sheik was not the the final match of the night back in the day they would actually do the main event you know towards towards the end but then they would give you a couple more matches to kind of you know bring everybody down you know before they left then you had right but you know why they used to do that no so the reason they used to not put the main event as the last event is because they wanted you to buy tickets at the event for the next event so basically when, when, you know, going back to, you know, when Iron Sheik, Bob Backlund lost, you know, that was never the last event either. So your people would be so mad or, or so happy or whatever, or maybe it was a double count out. There was going to be a rematch going on. They would announce at the matches following that one. Hey, get your tickets for this date for the rematch for so-and-so or get for out. The- so when, so they would basically pad the, pad the mat, uh, pad the night so you could have time to go buy tickets at the box office. That's right. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Cause now it's like, you just, you, you buy it on your phone. You could buy WrestleMania right. tickets, you know, on, on your phone <laughs> and you know, here, like you did, you'd have to get in line and wait. Um, so this last match, I mean, it was interesting again, cause you had Andre the giant. Yes. Teaming up with, um, you know, recently departed Rocky Johnson uh, and his tag team partner, Tony Atlas, WWF tag team champions at the time. Uh, and they defeated the Samoans, um, Afa, Sika and Samula. Samula. I, I never even heard of Samula. I didn't even know that he was one of the Samoans. I, yeah, I, I don't know if he was actually related to the Samoans themselves to Alpha and Sika. Um, he was a younger guy, right? Uh, roughly um, from Alfonsica, and I think they had tried to pair him off as a nephew or something to that extent. 
uh, still wore the same tight, you know, black tights that, right. you know, um, went down to the ankles. Barefoot. Uh, and... While not as wild hair, though, as the other two, uh, <laughs> you know, because Alpha and Sika, you know, their their hairdo, you could just you knew there were the wild Samoans coming in. Right. Yeah. And obviously talk about, you know, you think about this match, you're like, look at the legends, right. In that last match, right. right. Andre the giant, you know, Rocky Johnson, you know, Tony Atlas, which at the time there wasn't a popular tag team group than Rocky Johnson, and Tony Atlas. I mean, they were amazing uh, and their physiques were just incredible. And then you had the wild Samoans, right. The Oh, ever devious, you know, tag teams, uh, and, uh, it, it was, it was a fantastic match. I remember that one really well. I, I don't, I don't see it written here, but was Captain Lou with them? Was he, was he their manager at the time? You know, I didn't see, I don't remember seeing Captain Lou at that match. Gotcha. Um, I do remember Andre squashing just about everybody. Yeah. In that. <laughs> well, and then you got, um, I mean, like Rocky Johnson, Tony Atlas, I mean, they were, you know, just as the tag team champions in general, I mean, like, honestly, they were, you know, they were groundbreaking, uh they you know they broke down barriers and all that and again it's like it's it's a shame to to lose rocky johnson um you know he was young only 75 you know and and so but you know we got a chance to meet tony atlas um when we were at when we were at wrestlemania uh in orlando and so uh we got to meet him he stayed at our same hotel and uh we gave him directions to the ymca he wanted to go work out at the y and I'm trying to get I'm trying to figure out like how, how old was he then? He's, you know, maybe in his mid sixties, you know? Yeah. And he was huge. Just, you know, even in his mid sixties, he's a huge, huge man. And again, he's gonna go work out, you know, and he's gonna go do his thing. Um I think he was coming down from the elevator. And I think yep. either myself or you literally ran into his chest. Thick chest. I walked right into him. Just walked right into without focusing or anything. Yeah. And he was really just so nice uh you know willing to take some time to talk for us for a few minutes yeah. and obviously he's like hey i'm looking for the ymca where is it <laughs> hey can you step to the Y? like yeah he was he was very cool and uh you know he took a picture with us by the way i'm gonna put pictures on our instagram page of uh i'll post our meeting of tony atlas uh and i'll also uh send i'm gonna post pictures of um the uh the pictures number one of your ticket stub at yeah. madison square garden and then uh, I think I'm going to throw in there the pictures of you um, meeting Hulk Hogan with that ticket stub. Uh, and then we also have pictures uh, of meeting the Iron Sheik and Bob Backlund uh, yeah. while you're holding your replica of the big green belt. And so um, we'll post all that on our Instagram page, at Wrestle with Hope. We'll put it on the, on the Facebook page also. All right, so let's talk about the main event, okay? And so we, got, um, we, uh, we have Hulk Hogan subbing in for Bob Backlund and literally c- coming off the heels of Rocky three and just what an incredible year he had. And, and on, then you had, you know, uh, defeating the iron Sheik to win the WWF world championship. Uh, and iron Sheik, by the way, he's got the big green belt. So the big green belt, uh, was the championship that Bob Backlund had held previously. That was the, the latest version of the belt that he had held. And uh, only three guys have ever held that particular championship belt. Backland, Iron Sheik, and then Hulk Hogan. Um, That's right. And so, uh, and the funny thing is that that belt really didn't last no more than a year. No, no, no. Right? Well, Hulk Hogan was a fan of it. He didn't want. He didn't he want that not belt. A fan of it. And uh, and then you know, and and then you know, it, you get more of a focus later on of like 
the WWF and the WWF logo and like that kind of stuff as it kind of grew. Um, but it's, yeah. it's probably one of the last great kind of looking championships, you know, that was more it looked like a world championship, something that you would hold up. Um, all right, so what was that like? So now let's talk about you being there, and 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 here comes this match. So you know the first thing, obviously, it, which usually doesn't happen, which is the champion came out first, right? Right. So Iron Sheik comes in with his you know Iranian flag. Uh, obviously, in the front is our dear friend, classy Freddie Blassie, <laughs> or the Alapula Blassie, as right. he used to call himself. Um, uh, talk about a guy who would just work the crowd to just a uh, deafening roar. Um, and so everybody is just booing Iron Sheik. You can't even hear anything that he's saying. You know, I go back to seeing the, the match, you know, and it, it doesn't do it justice because the reality is if you didn't have earplugs, you probably lost some hearing that night. Okay? <laughs> Uh, and, and, and then all of a sudden, while everybody's still booing the Iron Sheik, you know, you guys in the videos, when you see the MSG actually event, you actually see Hulk Hogan in the tunnel, right? Right. You're doing his prayer and all this stuff. Right. You don't see any of that, right? Live, right? So you're, the only thing you hear is the sound of that music coming on, dun, right? And, dun, 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 dun. dun. And and all of a sudden, he comes out, and Hulk Hogan, as still today, is a towering figure, right? Yeah. Like, he is huge, like tall, bulked out. So when he comes out of the aisle, you see him from everywhere. I mean, it's just amazing. He comes in, gets to the ring. You know, and, you know, he starts pointing figures at, at the Iron Sheet. <laughs> you know, it was just crazy. And like I tell you, no one sat down for that match. Everybody was just on their feet or on top of the chairs if you were smaller. You know, it was just incredible. Uh, and the match was electric from start to finish. I know it's kind of a, uh, a memorable match because obviously it's the start of Hulkamania. But for us who lived in that era, who, who lived in that timeline, one of the things you need to realize, as you were saying before, you know, Iron Sheik put Bob Backlund in that camel clutch and Bob Backlund didn't give up, but basically he was done, right? right? So, you know, the most memorable mat part of that match was when the Iron Sheik puts Hulk Hogan in the camel clutch. That's right. And everybody's screaming and me and my cousin screaming at each other going, no, it's over. It's over. <laughs> no one's ever gotten out of the camel clutch. I think there's the, no way. The thing is, is that you look at the Iron Sheik now, right? And a lot of t- a lot of times people look at him like he's a cartoon character, right? Like you know, like he, you know, his career afterwards, he got he won WWF Tag Team Championships afterwards, yes. uh, but really he didn't win any other championships. He wasn't an Intercontinental Champion, you know. He didn't, and the WWF at least. And then he wasn't there long after he had lost the, the tag team championships. You know, they, you know, he had kind of, he had moved on. And so a lot of times people look at him like, of course he lost. He's the Iron Sheik. He's a, you know, and, and they, you know, he's a cart, he's a character now, but at the time he was devastating. He's a former Olympian. He was That's a right. massive athlete. He would come out with those clubs, remember? And he would do those, that the tests of strength, the feats of strength oh, yes. and stuff. And, and at the same time too, you throw in the quote foreign menace 
aspect of things. And he's a scary, scary dude. And now he's got the title. He was, I mean, he could potentially have been just as scary as Brock Lesnar, you know, uh, right. because he was just that tough. And he took out Bob Backlund. Like, you know, so, of course, when he gets Hulk Hogan in that move, you think it's done. It's over with. That's right. The other thing also to remember is that during that time, titles didn't change hands overnight. Right. And so you're thinking Hulk Hogan's in the camel clutch. You know, the last reign lasted seven years or so with with Bob Backlund. Right. You know, the thought is, oh, my gosh, this guy's not going to lose the belt. This exactly. guy is going to keep it for a long time and we're going to hate this guy for a long time. This is just the first challenger. You know, that's right. It's just the first of many. Right. And uh, and then everybody's screaming from their top of their lungs, Hogan, Hogan, Hogan. And and all of a sudden you see uh, you know, it's hard visually to say, but, you know, you can see Hogan shaking, starts right? poking up. Is like, shaking this up, you know, shaking his body. And all of a sudden he starts getting up little by little. And you can still I can still see him grabbing the legs from the sheep and pushing him into the turnbuckle. And all of a sudden, getting out of it, and and Hogan, you know, Hogan was a performer in the ring. Oh, Whether yeah. you like him or not, personally or not, it's a different story. But Hogan could tell a lot of stories in the ring. Oh yeah, you know this, you know, being down, getting back up, you know, you know, getting that energy from the fan base as he was coming up, and uh, and everybody's in shock. I mean, everybody's literally screaming at each other. He broke out of the camel clutch. He broke out of the camel clutch, right? And and literally within, you know, a minute afterwards, obviously the, the match lasted you know, a little over five and a half minutes. <laughs> uh, you know, the body slam in the middle of the ring, runs around, you know, to the ropes, leg drop. And he, if you see him wrapping Iron Sheik, he held Iron Sheik so hard in that yep. wrap of three count because – there's a backstory to that, right? Right. So and he, so, so the Iron Sheik, um, his he tells the story that he was approached by Vern Gagne uh, and offered good money to break Hulk Hogan's leg, and and so it was. It, it, I mean, it, and again, it's it's Iron Sheik's story. Could never get some kind of confirmation, you know, from the other side of things. But at the same time, too, Hulk Hogan knew. He's like, I'm not going to let anything fishy happen. I'm not going to let anything, you know, he's not going to kick out. He's not going to, you know, not want to do business with me. We're going to make sure that this happens. Uh, right. And, it, it, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where, you know, back then, the, those kind of things did happen. You know what I mean? Sometimes people would say, nope, not going to happen tonight, not going to do it, you know. And, uh, and he did. He <laughs> held him real tight for that three count. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and Sheik later on goes to say, you know, that he, he, you know, whether that was true with Ganya and that happened or not, he basically said that he, he felt like he had to honor his contract with Vince. Exactly. He and, said, and, no, he, he, and, he refused. Yeah. He refused, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, he says that, you know, Vince breathed a, a breath of a sigh of relief, you know, afterwards yeah. and, and all that stuff. And, and I think, you know, Iron Sheik, still is part of that family because yeah uh i think of him you know taking this belt and, and giving it to hogan yeah um and uh obviously you know the rest is history well and, and that's the thing is like you know then you have you know a lot of times i think you know we forget you know all the all the all the nuances of hulk hogan you know that we make fun of you know the 
the five moves of doom, the, you know, the, you know, just punch, 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 body slam. And, you know, the, you know, yeah, the even like everything from like, you know, cupping your ear and listening to the crowd and posing and all that kind of stuff that that didn't happen before. This was, you know, Hulkamania started in AWA, you know, but it really was born, you know, out of out of this moment, you know, and it was everything just kind of worked out right. And in, and in large parts, like, you know, would wrestling still be around today? Yeah, I'm sure. But would it look like it does today, you know, without that match necessarily happening? I don't know that. I don't think so, because he was just such a one-of-a-kind performer, you know, uh, and you that know, was think, the perfect spot. I think there, I think the what defined Hogan and defined the Hulkamania birth was the transition from wrestling to wrestling entertainment. Right. And I think that's what people didn't see until they saw Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. It was different because, I mean, Hogan was big, physical, you know, strong and everything. But Bruno San Martino was a wrestler. Exactly. Right? And he was still big and everything, but he was a grappler. Right. He was a wrestler. Bob Backlund as well, right? He, 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 he wrestled in college, right? And yeah. stuff. Uh, uh, Iron Sheik, professional wrestler, Olympian, right? And now you get Hulk Hogan, who was playing at a band, right? Prior to that in his early days and things like that. And and was not really, you know, his aspiration from very early age being a wrestler. He was brought in, right? But and you know, the, the funny thing is though about, about about him is that, you know, Hulk Hogan could work. He if you watch his absolutely. match, he had matches in Japan where, you know, he definitely displayed oh, way more than five moves. And, and he was, you know, he was he was really good. Now what we got in WWF was what Vince wanted out of him, you know, and he, and he didn't want him to be a wrestler. He wanted to be, you know, a giant, you know, and he wanted him to be a superhero, you know, and, right. and, and to be able to do that kind of stuff. And so it's one of those things where, you know, we, we got what we got because that's what Vince wanted, you know, out of out of Hulk Hogan. And I think it's like, you know, but now it's like, you know, the, we kind of look at that and we go, yeah, we, we you know, we want the entertainment and we also want a good, you know, a good solid wrestler. You know, that's why. Right. Guys like Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles are popular and that kind of thing because they could bring both, you know. That's right. Um, and then the other thing also is that Hogan had an amazing way of speaking. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, when you look at, you know, I love Bob Backlund, I still do to this day, right? But, you know, he wasn't much of a talker when right. he was talking about his next matches or things like that. But when Hulk Hogan got on a mic and he told you, you know, Drink your milk, take your vitamins, say your prayers. <laughs> you know, uh, let me tell you something, Mean Gene. That's right. You know, you just got you got electric as a young kid. You know, it's like, oh man, he's speaking gospel here. <laughs> what you gonna do? You know, and it's like, you know, right. that, that I mean, he was he was the guy that like, he invented the the catchphrases and you know all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah. and so and that was the thing, man. That's what that's what set it off because even for me, it's like I remember all of that happening and, and all that stuff taking place and, and being introduced to wrestling and going to the shows and, you know, and all that. And, you know, it all came out of, you know, that, that event and that time, you know, and, it, and just really kind of, you know, growing into that. And, you know, it's, you know, we're going to, we're going to wrap up here, but, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it turns into, you know, really what it is today for me and for you. It's, you know, it, it becomes this thing that not only do we look at the past, right. And go, Man, that was awesome back then, but we're able to still enjoy it now as grown men, as, you know, as fathers, you know, and just like say, 
you know, man, we you know we love this. You know, this has been this is this is a as much of a part of entertainment as any other TV show or sport or movie or anything like that. You know, wrestling's been there since you know since day one since we were kids because you know of 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 what it brings. It's it's the story. You know, it's the action and it's family coming together. You know, it's like you know you went to go see that. You know, you here's what I think about. You know, you got to see the birth of Hulkamania, right? With you know, with our cousins, which basically are brothers, you know what I mean? And so you got to see that. Um, I got to see Ric Flair and his retirement match with my brother, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I got to see that live, our first WrestleMania, WrestleMania 24, you know? Um, you know, we got to see, uh, you know, the, all, you know, all the, we got to see The Undertaker live, you know, in, in like in these settings. Um, and then, you know, as you go, it's like, you know, you got to go, and see, you know, um, you know, with with my niece, your daughter, you got to sit front row at Wrestle Circus and see right. stars before they became stars. You know what I mean? It's like, and you know, it's and to see those guys, you know, come out and you got, you know, Leo Rush, um, yeah. you know, Swerve, you know, you got, uh, you know, all these other guys, Ricochet, Ricochet <laughs> you know, all these kind of things. And it's like, it it brings families together. It's the entertainment, you know, factor of it all. And you know, there's nothing else that's like it. Agreed. Agreed. Well, Excellent. thanks, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Absolutely, it was fun, uh, and uh, I enjoyed it. And I uh, look forward to to hearing more from you, guys. That was my brother. I am so thankful, so excited that he was able to join us on the show. It won't be the last time because I got to tell you, he's a natural. Okay, he's the natural. So he did a he did a phenomenal job, really unpacking this prolific moment in wrestling history. Can't wait to talk wrestling some more with him. Let me know what you think. Give us a call, 352-340-3648. Leave us a voicemail. WrestleWithHope at gmail.com is the email or Instagram at WrestleWithHope, also on Twitter and Facebook. Before we go, it's the Wrestle With Hope word of the week. The word of the week this week is family. See, what we got to understand is that our family is is part of a bigger picture bigger picture family is is what god has given us to not just kind of um be there to support us and to guide us and direct us and all that but literally like family is this parallel to the love that god has for us we learn so many lessons just through family through our ups and our downs through our comings and our goings my family is part of a bigger picture, which means that I need to focus on priorities that matter the most. See, out of Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Family's that foundation. The family is literally the beginning of that foundation. The house that you build begins with your faith and your family. You want to build that family on that firm foundation of faith, on God's word. It's part of a way bigger picture. 
than even you could even like anticipate. It's it's part of a bigger picture which causes us to have to focus on the things that matter the most. Build that home on solid rock. It's the wrestle with hope word of the week. Family. I hope you drop us a line if you enjoyed what you heard. Support Ability Tree Florida if you've enjoyed this podcast. Donorbox.org slash wrestle with hope. If you want to shop for some t-shirts, check out the www.shopzone.com. And a big thank you to Josiah Williams for his song, Number One Contender, as our theme song. You can follow him at Williams at Wrestle and Flow. Both accounts bring you to him. Follow him on social media. Big thank you, by the way, to Greg Goslin for the artwork in our logo. You can at Greg Goslin on Instagram and check out more of his incredible art. This is Wayne Cordova signing off. And remember, if God is for you, who can dare stand against you? So long from the Sunshine State.